Hey folks, I am Ryan Goodman, and you are listening to the Beef Runner Podcast. Join the conversation and find all my content at beefrunner.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram as Beef Runner. Hey folks, Ryan Goodman here, and welcome back to another episode of the Beef Runner Podcast. Boy, I don't know about you, but we're in here in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. Some states are starting to open back up, but it still seems like it's it's been really stressful trying to navigate all of the waters of the news and the conversations and what's happening. And, and I know in agriculture, we've been dealing a lot with concerns about our food supply and the safety of that. As several processing plants, both animal and plant products, have been shutting down or slowing processing. And, and so we're seeing a lot of concerns about not only food safety, but concerns about the supply and what we're going to see in the grocery store. So this week on our Over a Beer series episode, Carrie and I talk with Janelle Yancey, who is a meat scientist at the University of Arkansas. She lives there in Northwest Arkansas, which is home to Walmart and Tyson. And she's also a mom to two girls who show sheep, cattle, and Carrie's favorite goats. So Carrie and I talk to Janelle, ask her several questions about meat safety. What should we know about reducing food waste? Should we eat these leftovers? Are they safe to eat? What happens when we go to the grocery store and our normal cuts of meat aren't there? And how do we use some of those things that are there? So Janelle is a wealth of information. So we had a really fun conversation over beer and was able to ask a lot of those questions. So I hope that you enjoy this episode, that you get some insight out of it and reach out to Janelle. You can find her online as mom at the meat counter and ask her any questions that you may have about food safety, meat that we find, whether it be at home, at the grocery store, and what do we do with that. And we really enjoyed this conversation. So I hope that you follow up with us online and let us know what you think. You can find me as Beef Runner and Carrie as Dairy Carrie. And I hope you enjoy this episode with meat scientist Janelle Yancey. Welcome to another Over a Beer episode. I'm Ryan Goodman. I'm Carrie Mess. And today we have Janelle Yancey, who is a meat scientist from Arkansas. Welcome, Janelle. Hi. Thanks All for right. having me. For the record, it is 9.30 in the morning here in Mountain Time. So got a morning beer today. I am drinking a graham cracker porter from Denver Beer Company. What about you, Carrie? Um, well, it's 10.30 in the morning here, and I was hungry and wanted snacks, so I'm having a Bloody Mary. Pretty tasty. What about you, Janelle? So it's almost 11 in, in Arkansas, and I'm having a Dr. Pepper. That's all right. She's going to be more productive than we are today, right? Yeah, yeah, there might be some sheep sheared later today, and I don't think I need to do that post-beer. We understand. Absolutely. Never shear your sheep after drinking, unless you're actually (laughs) from Scotland, and then I'm pretty sure that's the only way that works there. True, true, true. Very, very true. All right, Janelle, I've known you for quite a while. Um, You were my block and bridle advisor way back when I was an undergrad as a freshman and sophomore in college. But for those who don't know you, can you introduce yourself and let us know a little bit about what your role in ag is? My name is Janelle Yancey. Um, I am a meat scientist. I went to school for nine years to learn a whole lot about meat. Found out that I still needed to learn a lot more about meat. So I'm a meat scientist. I work at the University of Arkansas in a role, a meat scientist role in academia. I do a lot of teaching. I do a lot of um, advising students, lock and bridle club, quiz bowls, and those type of things. Um, And then I do research with meat. 
Um, but then a lot of what I've done lately has been kind of some consumer education where I try to help people feel better about the meat they consume um, and the meat they buy. I help them answer questions. I'm also a mom. So I try to answer questions for people about the meat they buy um, on a blog called Mom at the Meat Counter. That's kind of me. I've always enjoyed your Mom at the Meat Counter perspective. And a lot of that kind of started with meat counter selfies. <laughs> yeah, I like to take the meat counter selfies. So you don't know how awkward you can feel at a grocery store until you're standing in front of a meat counter and trying to take a picture of yourself with people walking by. Um, <laughs> but it's fun. You know, I always go to the meat counter and look. I mean, since I have was 14 years old and started on the meat judging team in FFA, I've always go to a grocery store and make a beeline for the meat counter. And so that's, that's always been my thing. And then now that we all have phones in our pockets and cameras, you know, I take pictures, I look, you know, I'm always looking to see what's new, um, different ways of packaging, labeling. So several years ago, I just, you know, was thinking about something silly I could do that would be my own. And uh, so I started taking meat counter selfies of myself at different meat counters. And it's been kind of fun because, you know, a lot of people, um, have started doing it too. You know, people will travel all over the world and they'll take meat counter selfies and send them to me. So that's really funny. I've yeah, sent you a meat counter selfie before. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I do the same thing. I go to a grocery store and like the first thing I do is go check out the dairy section. I'm like, what do they have? What do they got? I want to know. Holy cow. They're charging that much for that cheese. I can go to the factory <laughs> and get it for, you know, a quarter of that price. But yeah, it's, always really interesting. I think you can learn a lot about an area by going to their grocery store. It sparks some interesting conversations, probably. Um, I know one of the fun things I like to do when I'm working with some producers in like a communication or advocacy workshop is like take them to a grocery store and have them go to the meat counter and start some conversations and pe- Sometimes you get some weird looks. I'm yeah. pretty creepy in the dairy section, honestly. Like my my <laughs> local grocery store owner knows me and knows who I am. So he doesn't really like say anything. But sometimes he's like, Carrie, why are you just hanging out back here? I'm like, I'm talking to people. <laughs> Extrovert oh, problems. It's been a couple of weeks ago, but we were in the grocery store and the meat case was empty. I mean, there was nothing there. So I took a meat counter selfie and one of the... The employees walked by and kind of got mad at me. You know, he's like, oh, I can't believe you're doing that. You know, and I was like, dude, I've been taking pictures of myself at the meat counter for years. I invented the meat counter selfie. He completely did not believe me. (laughs) Look it up. I love it. I love it. Hey, I want to mention something here because it's really, really important. And if I do it right, Ryan can't edit this out. This morning, you sent me a picture of Ryan from when he was a student at University of Arkansas. And he looks like he's, what, maybe 12, 13 years old. (laughs) And I'm mentioning it because Ryan's going to put that picture in the, the show notes here so everyone can see how he He's aged over the years. So that legit showed up in my Facebook memories. Apparently that was honestly, what what do we say? Oh, seven. So it'd be 13 13 years years ago today. It was, we were putting on a cattle show, which is something we do as part of our club. And uh, we were having all kinds of computer trouble. And so the picture is me and Ryan sitting at the computer trying to make it work. I think it's so funny because that was before either one of us had even thought about a blog or I don't even know, I guess there was some social media then, but nothing like now. And so it's kind of fortuitous. We both went our separate ways before we started the the social media stuff too. So the, uh, 
uh, Razorback Classic and one of the first ones we held at the fairgrounds out there. Yeah, it was like the second one or something. And we've done one every year until this year and we had to cancel it this year. So, but yeah, we've put on 13. This would have been the 14th Razorback Classic. And now we have added to it, the kids added to it several years ago where we do the Razorback Classic show, which is a show where the kids that show win prizes. And then there's another show associated where the kids pay their entry fees, but then all the entry fees go to a charity. We call that one Cattle for a Cause. Last year, I think we gave like six or $7,000. We changed the cause every year. The cause that year was a family in the cattle business that the mom has cancer. And so people that won prizes on the prize side would take their prizes and then just put them directly into the donation box for the donation side. And people gave money and it was just at six or $7,000. It was crazy how much money we raised for that family. That's and it just awesome. says so much about our industry and uh, how close-knit you know folks in ag are. One thing we're talking about stock shows and showing livestock. I've seen it in the dairy world and I'm not sure if you guys are seeing it kind of in the other livestock world is they're doing some virtual shows now. You take video of your animal and pictures and you send it in and you know you still pay an entry fee or whatever and they have judges and you get placings and that's inventive. Yeah I've seen that too. We did one in Arkansas that was kind of fun that was the kids dress their animals up <laughs> and and it was more like a you know silly funny dress up contest and it was you know the kids still won prizes and they took pictures of their animals so yeah mm-hmm. there's lots of fun creative things kids are doing with their animals to you know it doesn't take the place of getting to go to a show or a fair but at least it helps it gives you a little bit more of a sense of community for sure and you know you're kind of getting your girls into showing as well yep so my girls we show sheep and cattle and last year we got some goats goats were a new adventure for us my oldest girl is 11 and so she can show cattle i had a great year last year she showed a heifer that we raised um, the heifer's genetics go back 10 generations on my husband's family farm to a cow that my mother-in-law purchased in 1952 and she was grand champion commercial heifer at our district fair which is a huge deal uh, my husband I had to peel him off the rafters that night and so we show cattle but what was so neat about that was that it was a heifer not only we raised but her genetics go so far back and then both girls show sheep um, we show club lambs which are just market lambs and then we show registered hemp Um, We got my youngest girl a Dorset Advantage. this year. So those are registered sheep we show for breeding. And then of course we had we tried the goats last year and I think there's going to be some goats come back this year. So yeah, the kids love, they're, they're out there right now messing with their animals. Um, my little one will come to the barn with me in the morning and she doesn't even want to let her sheep finish eating before she wants to put a halter on it, lead it around the barn and mess with it. So you kind of mentioned your blog, but I know you're also involved with something that I think is really cool. And you work with moms in your area and get them out to the farm arm to kind of see firsthand. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So the same year I started the blog, I started a program at the university called Moms on the Farm. And I worked with uh, several ladies there in our College of Agriculture and our Extension and our Arkansas Cattle Women. And we put together a tour of commercial production farms in our area. And so we live in Northwest Arkansas. Of course, we went to a chicken farm. We went to a beef farm. And then there's a couple of nice dairies in our area. And so we just go to one dairy. We're not really in a dairy area, but dairy is something that, you know, everybody can understand. I take these, for lack of a better word, I call them soccer moms. You know, they're 
ladies that don't have a background in agriculture and we try to take them to farms and introduce them to the people that make their living in agriculture and try to put faces with the food that they see in the grocery store. And that's been one of the hardest things to get people to understand is the food that you see in the grocery store is raised by family farmers, just like, you know, the mess farm in Wisconsin or the Yancey Ranch in Arkansas. You know, our cattle that we raise goes through the production system and we'll end up at a grocery store just like everything else. So we want people to put those things together so that they trust that food that they find in the grocery store and know that there's farmers behind it. Yes. Amen. I mean, that's what this is all about. Advocacy is just putting a face to the product at the store, helping people understand that that really did start out here in the country and we're doing our best to care for our animals and our land and and provide, right? Right, right. Such a cool idea. In the cattle and in the dairy industry, both, you know, there's so many farms that are not very big. You know, it's uh, with dairy, it's usually their main source of income with, but cattle, it's usually not, at least in this part of the world. I'm not sure if we really qualify as income in the dairy (laughs) world lately. Yeah, but no. it is, we don't usually, it is usually our main hustle. <laughs> we'll <laughs> that. But side hustles are, are maybe yeah. where the actual income is coming from. I remember being up in Northwest Arkansas, you definitely have a lot of contrast in po- population. So you've got a lot of people in town that are moving in the Bentonville area, the Fayetteville area with Tyson, Walmart, all of that up there. But then on the fringe of that, you've got some really rural populations like the county where you live, Janelle. Out of that kind of atmosphere and environment, but what have been some of the challenges as Northwest Arkansas has grown and then the farms that were existing there over the past couple of years. So yeah, over in Washington County, which is where the university is, and then north of that's Benton County, which is where Walmart is, the urban sprawl there is is a big concern. One of the dairies we go to, uh, the Anglin Dairy, they're very close to the Benton County Airport or the Northwest Arkansas Regional Airport. They butt up against the Bentonville city limits. That's one of the things she always talks about. She's a great advocate, Susan Anglin. And she always talks about her concern with urban sprawl, with the value of the land going so high that it's not feasible to raise livestock on anymore. The concern with people putting in suburbs and houses really close. And then those folks have concerns with smells and noises and traffic associated with being close to a dairy. Those are all real concerns in Northwest Arkansas uh, right now. Um, We were just talking yesterday, the big thing right now in Arkansas or our part of Arkansas, is all the little towns are getting a Dollar General. And we were noticing, you know, all those Dollar Generals are going up where there was a nice little field right on the highway, you know. And I mean, I'm really happy to have, you know, a store where you can buy food close, but it's also kind of a shame to see that land go to, I don't know, for lack of a better word, goes away from agriculture because that's not going to come back in any time soon. They're not ripping up Dollar Generals to put in corn. That's for sure. Right. What's frustrating is where they're putting in the Dollar General, just down the road, there's some defunct storefronts that they're not ripping up to put in the Dollar General. And so they're just expanding their footprint of that little town. But, you know, the good thing about farmers is we just get better and better at what we do. And so we can still produce food, even though they're giving us less land to produce it with. Very true. So I'm going to change gears a little bit here, Janelle. You are my go-to meat question person, (laughs) as you know, by my many texts to you going, can I still eat this? (laughs) I love it. I love it. What the heck is this cut? So 
I was texting you earlier about a rolled rump roast and I made it in my Instapot last night and I totally screwed it up. And, oh um, no. Yeah. I think I might still be able to recover, but we ate nachos instead for dinner yeah. last night. But I think right now people are really concerned about the potential of having food shortages coming up, particularly in the protein world, as we're seeing plants close and people really want to make sure that we aren't wasting food. Right. So some of the questions that I know I've asked you before, just between you and I, or some of the questions I'm seeing online a lot, I kind of wanted to run down some of them with you and have you put that knowledge out there in the world that you have because I think you're great to pick your brain about all things protein. All right, so, hit me up. All right, so how long can you really like keep meat in the deep freeze in a freezer? Does it really go bad after six months or a year? So the thing is, when you start talking about something going bad in the freezer, you're going to have a whole lot of flavor and um, texture and eating quality issues in the freezer long before you're going to have food safety issues. We dug out some sausage last night and ate it. I don't even want to think about how old it was. I'm not worried at all about the food safety. It kind of had a little bit of an old freezer flavor. We ate it and then we didn't keep the leftovers, you know, right. it went to the dogs. But yeah, so as far as in the freezer, as long as your freezer's good and cold, and I mean really cold, food safety wise, you're not going to want to eat it long before it's unsafe to eat. Time Did you wise, notice the year on that picture I sent you last night on that rolled rump roast was 2017? Oh, I sure didn't. <laughs> yeah, I it was at not. the bottom of the freezer. It was fine. <laughs> Flavor, yeah. like I defrosted it and it was bright red and had no freezer burn or anything like that. And it was from 2017. Was it vacuum packaged? Nope, just butcher wrap. Really? Oh, that's yeah. great. So I went to Costco and middle meats are really cheap right now. So like I bought a $70. Hey, 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 hold on. You cannot just say middle meats. Of beef. So sorry. People don't know what middle meats are, <laughs> Ryan. You're um, going to have to elaborate. Loin, ribeye, even the briskets were all like $6 a pound. Really cheap. And that briskets are not sold. middle meats. I was just I, about to I, say. And I said even brisket, <laughs> separating them. And, and those cuts are called middle meat because they are from the middle of the cow? Yeah. So like the high value cuts that we would normally see in restaurants, which right now nobody's eating at restaurants. And so in the grocery store right now, we're seeing a lot of those and they're really cheap. But I brought that home and I cut it up into steaks. So when I do that, I don't have butcher paper because I'm not a butcher shop. What's the best thing to put those meats in, put them in the freezer? Hmm, That's a great question. The, what you really want to do is get as much air away from the meat as you can, whatever way you choose to do that you know you might wrap them in the wax paper you you can buy butcher paper at some places of course right now we're not we're not all running to the store every 30 minutes but they make some freezer bags that are decent the better you wrap them the longer they're going to last in the freezer so do what you can to get air away from the muscle so it might be you put them in some saran and then putting them in a freezer bag if you know you're going to keep four in a package put the meat together in the package so that less is going to be exposed to air because air in the freezer is where you're going to have flavor and texture and eating quality problems anywhere the air is touching the meat so that's why vacuum packaging works so well you can buy little vacuum packagers but they're not super cheap and they don't work great but you can buy them uh, we have one that we got for our wedding gift that we don't use very much ryan i see some affiliate link potentials here in the show notes <laughs> butcher paper and vacuum packer Janiel. But make sure it's a good one. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Neil, how about if I buy some stew meat and it's in the, the styrofoam with the little mats underneath it and then wrapped in plastic, can I just toss that whole thing in the freezer as is? Um, You can if you're going to eat it, you know, in the next few weeks. But that film, you know, the plastic wrap is actually oxygen permeable, which means oxygen can go through it. So you're not going to protect it from the air. You can stick the whole thing in a Ziploc baggies or you could take it out. And um, if it's thawed, you could you could repackage it. If you know it's going to be in there for a while, um, I would try to repackage it some way. Again, even though it's the water doesn't get through that package, the air will. That's the way it works. That's why the product looks so bright red and pretty. So you want to do something to keep that air off of that meat. If you're going to freeze it, and you know you're going to eat it two weeks from now. It's not a big deal. Gotcha. <laughs> my other favorite question to ask you is, I forgot to put my dinner away last night. Can I still eat it today? I, well, I, it didn't get refrigerated for, you know, 10 hours. Um, what is was it? Is it still good? Nacho uh, cheese? No, not last night. I mean, just in general, I've asked oh. you, I've asked you this. Like, I've made, like, chili and then forgot to put it away because I was letting it cool on the counter before I put it in the fridge and then, you know, realized in the morning that I never put it <laughs> in the fridge. So yeah. listener, Listeners can't see this, but I am laughing my head off <laughs> <laughs> because I've been there. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Oh, ever, we did. Can, it I, can I just I mean, boil it again it. and call it good? <laughs> Carrie, you have two small kids at home. I do. Um. That probably are eating that chili or would eat the leftovers. I no, would not. No, they won't. But yeah. <laughs> I, I mean. <laughs> yeah. I I probably would not do that. Something that's got a lot of meat in it, like chili. We did it the other day. We made that nacho cheese rotel dip, and it had some sausage in it. Mm-hmm. you know left it on the stove after we all finished eating we all went to bed and nobody went back in there and cleaned it up and there it sat and i hate to but yeah i toss it if it sat out there all night at room temperature and it was warm when it started nope i would toss it yeah it um, seems like e coli would really like that maybe probably not e coli probably some other bugs that would make you sick in different ways there's different a but called, not fun ways <laughs> yeah yeah there's a bug called clostridium perfringens that they sometimes call the buffet bug and it thrives in conditions where it's been warm and then it's not warm enough and it doesn't get chilled down so it'll stop growing yeah and that one will make you sick it'll make you sick quick so you'll know what made you sick and, and you know those kind of foodborne illnesses the clostridium perfringes the staph aureuses that's another one that you could get from that situation they're probably not gonna kill you or your husband it might make you wish you were dead <laughs> but your boy's it could make them very, very sick because they're really not very old. I'm a whole lot more picky about leftovers and leftover temperature than I am about freezer temperature, you know, freezer storage. Does that make sense? Totally. I'm going to be okay. pulling out my meat science textbook trying to spell these words when we're doing the show notes. <laughs> I know how to spell clostridium <laughs> Oh, I can, and staph aureus. Yeah. No, I got it. I got it. Yeah, we're good. Well, my husband's standing in here now, but I was going to say one of the first times we went to Texas as a couple, we went to eat at a restaurant that I'm not going to name. And then we went home to see my family with my new boyfriend 
Oh no. And he, he came down with foodborne illness that we we're pretty sure was staph aureus. And he was so sick, oh, you know, no. and poor guy, he's, you know, at the girlfriend's home and trying to figure out, you know, where the restroom is. And yeah, it was awful. It was awful. So yeah, not fun to be sick. Not at all. This is Gosh, such an appetizing no conversation. No for my no breakfast beer. How's that graham cracker beer taste? <laughs> Yum oh. Okay, so a fun question. So as a meat scientist, I'm sure you have strong opinions. What are your favorite cuts of meat? Beef, pork, chicken, whatever that might be. So if I'm gonna go to a nice restaurant and order a steak to celebrate something, I'm gonna order a ribeye. Ribeyes are one of those middle meats you were talking about. I like them cooked medium rare. I like it with a little bit of garlic salt and cracked black pepper. You know, if we're gonna get real specific, I like it cooked over a mesquite fire. So yeah, the ribeye is my go-to celebration indulging type cut. One cut that I like a lot for a weeknight, you know, have a decent meal on a weeknight. I don't have a lot of time is a top sirloin steak. Top sirloin steak, you can buy them. They're a great big steak that come in the store, but they're one of those middle meats as well. They come from over a little bit further back on the carcass and you can get a pretty big steak that you can cut into pieces. And so something, you know, if you have a family of like our family where you've got two adults and then a preteen and then a young child, we could probably all eat decently on a one top sirloin steak. And that's one that you can cook in a skillet or you can put it on the grill or you can broil it. You know, there's lots of easy ways to cook it. It cooks quickly. So that's kind of my go-to weeknight steak. You know, everybody loves ground beef, of course. It's so versatile. As far as pork goes, I love ribs. I'm not very good at cooking ribs, but my dad, holy cow, he can make some Instapot ribs that are just crazy good. And I tell you what's really good is he will use country-style ribs ribs, which is kind of, you know, cheap country ribs. They don't really come from cheap country pigs. They come from a different part of the carcass that's not normally cut up as ribs. They actually don't have ribs in them. Totally with you. The country style ribs are perfect. They're so meaty and you don't got to worry about the bone. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, they're good. They're super good. And then, you know, I guess on chicken side, I don't know. I'm pretty bland when it comes to chicken. I like chicken breast. Yeah, yeah. I'm, a ch- <laughs> I'm a chicken thighs gal. I love chicken thighs. Yeah. So much. My husband's been doing some stuff with chicken thighs lately. It's been really good. I'll send you a recipe that I have for chicken thighs that's pretty out of this world. They're like with Is it Instapot? Or... You could do it in the Instapot for sure. It's not on my blog, Ooh, but it's exciting. a really good one. So here's I'm a question gonna... we forgot to ask earlier. What is a meat scientist? Oh yeah, by the way, tell us, what exactly is this thing that you do? <laughs> That's a great question. What is a meat scientist? I don't really know. Someone who studies meat. We study everything from conception to consumption. Not always, but mostly on the post-harvest side of uh, the meat production. A lot of times meat scientists are just, it's a specialty within animal science, which is kind of what I am. I'm I'm employed in the Department of Animal Science, Um, but there's meat scientists in food science. There's meat scientists in poultry science. I've got a good friend that's a meat scientist, a couple of them over in poultry science at the University of Arkansas. I did my master's research on beef tenderness. I studied, you know, new ways to measure beef tenderness. Um, I did my PhD work on pork quality, where we looked at trying to control some pork quality, you know, make the pork a prettier color and more flavorful, tasty. And so I work in academia. 
and there's lots of us that do that. My husband is also a meat scientist, has a PhD as well. He works for Tyson Foods as a uh, product developer. So he actually is developing products right now that uh, you can go and you, to the store and you can buy a kit, you know, and it has all the ingredients, all the spice, everything in it, and you can take it home. It might be a crock pot kit. It might be a skillet kit. He's been doing some Instapot stuff. And so those are the kind of products he develops. But I know the gal um, who works on McDonald's chicken nugget. Those Silas would like to meet her. Yeah, she's a great gal. So yeah, those, those meat scientists that work in all parts of the industry. And then there's a, some meat scientists that work in, for government as well. Or she's the Undersecretary for Food Safety right now, working in FSIS for USDA. She's a meat scientist from Texas Tech. Um, Mindy Brashears. Mindy Brashears, yeah. We all have a mutual friend that's a meat scientist too, and he works for like the company that makes the machines that marinate things and, and do that kind of stuff. So it's a really wide-ranging field. Yep. There's lots of different good jobs that you can have in meat science. I have a PhD and my husband has a PhD, but um, our friend David that you were just talking about, he has a master's degree. And then there's a lot of folks that work in the meat industry with a bachelor's degree. So yeah, there's, it's a wide range, lots of good jobs. And most of them right now are considered essential. I think recent conversations, I've seen a lot of that. So as I've seen posts online of, I saw one today that was potatoes being dumped because there was nowhere for them to go dairy has obviously been a big part of that. And Carrie's talked about dumping milk several places, but now we're starting to see some meat animals that have no place to go for harvest now that meat plants are being shut down. It's brought around a lot of conversations. I don't know that people have really thought about all the science that goes into getting food to our plates. Yeah, getting food to our plates and getting it there safely and at a huge scale. I mean, you know, there's 300 million people that live in the United States and they all eat three meals a day. And, you know, 98% of them are not vegetarians. And so that's a lot of food to provide to a lot of people and do it in a safe way that gives them stuff that they like and stuff that they want. It's a, an amazingly vast industry. I love to think about the size and scope of it. It's been really interesting, I think, as we've seen panic buying and, and how that's been affecting our supplies combined now with plant closures. And I finally left the house and the farm for the first time in like three weeks. And I went to Costco this week and there weren't any single cuts. It was only like the, the big pork loins and butts the like seven pound pork butts and in cryovac and very little chicken left there but there weren't pork chops there weren't any beef cuts there was ground beef and then there were the middles as you guys call it in big hunks but people are going to be experiencing things in the meat counter that they've not come across before like as you said the big cryovac middles and they're going to have to start figuring out how to either utilize cuts they don't know or how to break down some of these meats for themselves any tips you can give any thoughts on that I mean, you talked about the butcher wrap and, and if you're going to buy those big ones, we can freeze the extra, but sharp knives, what else do you, do you need? How do you keep your counters clean? How do you process that, those bigger hunks into smaller quantities safely? Yeah. Sharp knives. If you can find or have availability of some kind of cut proof glove to protect your, your offhand, if you're going to cut your own product. And then something that I think is important, um, and my kitchen is not very big, is having 
room. So you want to have a big cutting board. Preferably is not wooden because, you know, wooden cutting boards are hard to get clean. And then you want to have some nice sharp knives. I actually have a friend who posted a, a YouTube video of her cutting up some poultry. She has a whole bird and she cuts it into pieces. Um, I shared that on my Facebook page last week. And, you know, I was in the grocery store just the other day and there were some cuts. We were doing okay in the poultry side. Um, of course, this is Northwest Arkansas, so there's always chicken. But there was a lot of availability of whole birds. You know, and a lot of people just don't know how to cut them up. They don't know. They're not familiar with them. They don't know how to roast a whole chicken either. No, no, they don't. And they don't fit. I guess you could maybe fit them in the Instapot if you have a big Instapot. But I have fit many a roasted whole chicken in, in your my six quart Instapot. It's a fantastic way to do a whole chicken. But you know, I mean, it's also, I mean, there's nothing wrong with cutting your bird, your chicken up. Something that I saw were leg quarters. Well, leg quarters are thighs and drumsticks. You could take those and cut them up and have lots of food for your family. And it was cheaper than buying the thighs themselves. But yeah, having sharp knives, you want to wash your hands, clean the area before you get started. Um, have everything there ready to go because the last thing you want to do is have your hands dirty with meat purge, you know, and then either have to holler at somebody to come help you or have to dig through your drawers to find the block bags or whatever it is you need. Have you been in my dirty. kitchen when I'm doing <laughs> this? Because this sounds exactly yeah. like how this so goes you, in my house. Yeah, <laughs> so you want to try to have everything out before you get started. I try to either open packages and put them... We don't have great trash service here, so um, I try to keep my trash as non-stinky as possible. So a lot of times I'll put packages of fresh meat, I'll put them in the sink and rinse them out before I put them in the trash. But if you you're, if you're able to take your trash out every day, that's not as big of a deal. So you want to have your trash there close. Then you want to, you know, cut up your meat, have your packaging material there on the counter, get it all packaged, put away. And then when you're done, you want to wash your hands again, wash your, your workspace again, and then clean off your counter around your workspace, get your knives good and clean. Because you don't want anything that you're going to eat without cooking it to touch any of those surfaces. So if you come along later and you make a ham sandwich, sandwich, you know, you don't want the bread or the ham or anything to touch those surfaces that you're going to eat without cooking it that haven't been sanitized. Does that make sense? Well, what you're saying, I think, is get your poop in a group before you start <laughs> and clean up after yourself with yeah, soap. Yeah, you don't have yeah. to use, like, bleach. You can use soap, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can, you can use soap and hot water. You know, it's going to be good. So shocking. Cleaning your hands to keep from, you know, spreading coronavirus and cleaning your kitchen to keep from spreading every other kind of thing. <laughs> pretty much the same. Shocking. So you one know, question we... that I hear a lot here is, should I wash my meat? Oh, yeah. I was going to say, because you talked about washing the package, and I was like, but not the meat, right? Right. No. So you don't want to wash the meat. The problem with washing meat is that when you put that meat under the sink, under running water, the water's going to hit the meat, and then it's going to splash off of it all over your kitchen. And pretty much if you're washing your meat, which is pointless, you're just spreading that bacteria all over your kitchen. And so that's not something that you really want to do. And there's Delicious. not any point. If you're going to cook meat, you're going to cook off any bacteria, viruses, anything on the meat is going to go away or it's going to die when you cook it. There's no point in washing it. Hey, speaking of that, something you and I agree on, but Ryan so far in general is not on board is how do you eat your burger, Janelle? <laughs> in what way? How's, like, how, what do I, how do you want your burger cooked? Oh, um, I always cook them to well done 
exactly. least medium well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but you know, Ryan, I'm, I'm having a flashback to France here. <laughs> yeah. Ryan, Ryan is a young, healthy guy. He will probably survive whatever he gets from eating undercooked burgers, most likely. But, you know, he might wish he was dead. Ryan is mentioning France because when we were in France together, which is a whole nother story for another podcast at some point in time, they grilled us burgers at this beautiful dairy that was Normandy Cows. I was in seventh heaven there. It, it was heaven. There was alcohol and it was delicious. This Calvados, the, the brandy that they made on the farm, and there were Normandy cows and cheese, and then they made us burgers, and the burgers were barely gray on the outside. They, like, put them on the grill, flipped them once, and threw them on a bun and handed them to us, and I think if I would have had a needle and thread, I might have been able to save that cow just yet. So rare burgers are not my thing, but that seems to be the, the norm in Europe is eating the very rare meats. Oh, wait, no. These were raw in the middle. These were not <laughs> yeah. rare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They were, I don't know. They were something. Do you know anything about that? I've never been to France. I've been to continental Europe once. So we went to Germany at Christmas time. We ate a lot of sausage. Yeah. And a lot of sausage. Um, and I was pregnant and they with were Valley. Cooked. <laughs> they were totally cooked. Yeah, I was pregnant with Valley when we went, and there's no way you would have gotten me to eat that. Nope. Yeah. No, I don't care, you know, polite society aside, nope, would not eat that. But in general, burgers um, should be, food safety standpoint, burgers should be done under 160. Yeah, you should cook them to 160 and measure that with a meat thermometer. The problem with burgers is they don't understand that they're supposed to turn brown at exactly 160. So a lot of people like to use color as a measure of doneness in burgers. And um, a lot of the research we've done in our lab has shown there's some burgers who decide they're going to turn brown before they're safely cooked. And there's some burgers who, it doesn't matter how much you cook them, they're not going to turn brown. And, and the uh, reason is because you're grinding outside muscle and it's getting inside, right? Well, that's not my color issue reasons, but yeah. Oh, so right, that's not because... color, but in general safety, I should say. Yeah, if you take a steak or a roast, the bacteria, anything that's going to make you sick is going to be on the surface of that. And when you cook it, that outside surface is going to get the hottest, the fastest. It's going to reach a safe temperature regardless of what the inner part of the steak gets. So, you know, we were already talking about how I liked what I like for steak. I love a steak medium rare because the inner part of that steak you know, is essentially not going to have bacteria in it that can make you sick. And so if you cook the outside, then anything that's, you know, has the potential to make you sick is going to be cooked and, and die. When you start talking about ground beef, you take those steaks and roasts and you grind them up and you mix them up. And so all of the bacteria that were on the outside are now on the outside and the inside and the middle and all around, all spread out throughout the burger. And so to get all of those bacteria killed, you have to get the temperature of the inside of that burger to 160 so that it's hot all the way through. And that is why we order our burgers well done in our house. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Awesome. And when, when Ryan comes, I just put his burger on a couple of minutes after ours and let him take <laughs> his chances. You usually have me grilling. This is also true. <laughs> and putting right. together the grill. That's right. Yeah, that was fun. Um, all right. So we're wrapping up kind of our goal time here. So Janelle, what would be some tips for agriculture advocates? and sharing their stories that you have kind of learned from your experience. Because, Janelle, um, you've so been the, doing this just as long as Ryan and I have. 
you I know. Up some great I, well, tips. maybe not not even quite as long, but yeah, I've been yeah, at it a while. So. so the biggest thing I have found when it comes to being an effective advocate is to have a posse. Have a group of friends like you guys that, you know, they've got your back, they can help read your posts, they can give you support and and you know advice. And you know, I have a really great group of friends that are ag advocates that are my part of my posse. And then here in Arkansas, we have a great community of women bloggers that I'm a part of as well that are a great part of my posse. They're not ag folks. They're, you know, they have, you know, recipe blogs and lifestyle blogs and all kinds of, and so that's my biggest advice for folks. Value community over competition. There's nothing wrong with several people doing the same thing. You know, I mean, we've talked about that Jude Capper, who I love, she and I posted food waste blogs a week apart. And uh, we we link to each other's blog posts, you know, rather than worrying about, you know, they're all going to read hers and they're not going to read mine. We have different audiences. We have a different outreach. And so, you know, support those other bloggers and seek support from other bloggers. So that's that's my big advice is, is to value that community over any type of trying to compete with each other. Um, of course, that's easy for the mom meet scientist blogger to say, I guess. <laughs> the one. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure there's very many others out there. (laughs) No, but I think that you're right. As we've been doing this, and and I really do think that you've been doing this just as long as Ryan and I have, we're going to have to go back and do some math on things, I think, see when you got on Twitter and see see when you started your blog. But we've kind of seen like advocacy stretch from just the small kind of tight-knit group into such a big thing, right? And there's kind of these, for lack of a better term, clicks now out there. And I think that having people that you know you can trust to send other people to is so important. Oh, yeah. Because I'm, I don't know everything. I'm not gonna, if somebody wants to ask me meat safety questions or cut questions, I am not answering that. I am sending them your way. (laughs) Right. Awesome. So Janelle, where can we find you online? Easiest place to find me is on Facebook. Um, Mom at the meat counter. I have a page. I've been getting a lot of People that have been sending me personal messages in this crisis, questions about something they found in their grocery store or something they found in their freezer. And I love that. So please don't be afraid to send me a private message on Facebook. My blog is mommathymeatcounter.blogspot.com. Like I said, I have a Twitter and an Instagram and I have all these great plans to get those more prolific. In your spare time. In my spare time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole other podcast conversation, right? Yes, it is. Right, right. (laughs) I really like the graphics you've shared in the last week or two that kind of showed different alternative cuts and information about those. So if you're listening to this podcast, go check out Janiel's Facebook page and see those infographics. They're really informational. When I've shared them, a lot of people have really appreciated that information. So thanks for making those. Oh, well, thanks. The pork and beef one I made for classes. Um, we were doing some adulting 101 classes <laughs> and I made Can I sign that. up for that class? Yeah. Can Ryan um, sign up for that class twice? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and that's where those, you know, I, I kind of tweaked them for the blog, but yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, this will work just great for right now. Man, I love content that is multitasking. <laughs> yeah. Hey, All right. thank you, Janiel. Cheers. Yeah, I really Cheers. enjoyed thank you very it. Much. Have fun sharing sheep. Oh, about out of Dr. Pepper. Uh oh. Oh, I will. Take care.
Hey guys, Ryan here. Real quick before we go, what'd you think? We would love to hear your feedback on our conversation with Janelle Yancey, meat scientist from the University of Arkansas. Give us a shout out on social media, Dairy Carey, Beef Runner, or Mom at the Meat Counter, and let us know if you have any other questions. And we hope that you're able to stay safe and healthy while you're feeding your family and yourself during this pandemic or any other time. So please reach out to us. We'd love to hear what you think. Until next time.